Praise God. I know we're going through Timothy. I've actually been working on a message, which I'm not going to preach tonight on Timothy. Uh, and that message is basically about God's gym, you know, because he talks about spiritual exercise is more important than physical exercise there. And I wanted to get in that to you, but the Lord had other plans. I know that because my mouse stopped working, and uh, at least in his providence he did. And when my mouse starts working, I simply uh, just plug it in. I go get other things done, or I study without my computer. But when I'm typing out my message, it, you know, you got to wait a few minutes. But it, did, it didn't give me a warning. It's low battery didn't come up. I'm like, that's kind of odd. Oh, and then I just plugged it in. I plugged it into my wife's deal, and I'm like, it's not charging up. Or it's charging up, but it's just not working. So I was like, okay, Lord, I'm not going to panic. i got to leave in like 10 minutes. And we could do a question and answer, because I'm hardly ever in this situation. I think I've probably come once without a message. So I'm like, uh, hmm. But I still got a message together, so I have it. I have a message. So I thought, you know what? I've got some things I put that were actually printed out already because I couldn't even print anything uh, that I've been in my heart to share with you guys. So I thought, I've got messages still. Or do we do a question and answer? You could do that too. So like theolog theological questions. We could, I thought, we could, Lord, I'm not going to panic. We're going to have a great day either way. And maybe you just want me to polish up that other message more. And I was really excited about that message I was going to preach. But I'm also excited about what, was, what I have here and, you know, maybe if we have time, because this was a theological question that came up recently with a couple of brothers, and I thought, oh, this would be a good one to share with the church, you know, and I think we're going to go with this. So I have peace about it. So, Father God, we just pray again that you'd speak to our hearts and that we would know your word better and grow thereby. In your son's name, amen. So the question is, and this is something you ought to know, is... And you've got to be careful answering too quickly because there's a lot of theological debate on this issue. But there's a lot of question as to who is the angel of the Lord. And we certainly don't worship angels. Oh, Jimmy's getting all excited over there. Jimmy loves this subject. Him and I have good talks about this subject. Uh, <laughs> praise God. That's the other big Jimmy. We got a bunch, we've had a bunch of big Jimmys through the years, right? One's deceased. Uh, but anyway, you guys, this is an important topic. And if someone came to you and said, who is the angel of the Lord? Would you have an answer? We'd be able to say, oh, yeah, I can tell you who the angel of the Lord is. Would you know what scriptures to go to? And why is it important? Why is it important? And how does it prove the deity of Christ? Because there's a lot of really cool intersections and connections with this subject that really lift your faith, you know? And I want you to take your Bibles and go to... I want you to take your Bibles and go to Genesis chapter 16. And this came out of when I was studying, we were just having a talk with a few, like I said, a couple brothers a while ago, and this subject came up. But when I was preparing a message for the women, the sisters, and whatever brothers didn't get to make it to the retreat, this was uh, something that I worked on for that as well. And I thought, hmm, I could answer that question in that message a little bit. The brothers that were talking with me won't be here probably, so, or, or I could just wait another time. So I still worked on this subject, and I just think it's a, and I've, I've, a long time ago I taught on this, and I didn't, I didn't want to refer to my old notes, because I wanted to get, just have a fresh message in my heart, but it came to the same conclusion, uh, and you'll remember that God chose Abraham out of all of the people on earth, right, to be the father of his special nation, Israel, 
And he chose a people out of the earth through whom he'd bring the Messiah. Amen. And through that Messiah, all the nations of the earth, people from every nation, people and tongue would be blessed. Amen. Through his seed. His ultimate seed ends up being his ultimate descendant through whom all the nations are blessed is who? Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. But he's, Abraham is the father of Jacob, or I should say Isaac, and Isaac's the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Joseph, and the descendants all the way through the 12 tribes, uh, Joseph's sons, or I should say Jacob's sons, Joseph being one of them. You have the 12 tribes of Israel, and through the tribe of Judah comes the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. But God promises Abraham that he's going to have a progeny, an inheritance in the land, but also a people, amen, amen. that would descend from him. And they'll be like the stars of the sky and the sands of the sea. The only problem is he's almost 100 and doesn't have a kid yet. And he's tripping out, right? And he's looking at Sarah, perhaps. She's looking at him. And she's actually barren. She can't have a child. And, you know, that's happening for a while. She's going on 90. He's going on 100. It's like, what gives? And then she hatches an idea. Take my maidservant, take the maidservant Hagar. Have a child through her. And may the seed be named through her. Not through her name, but may, I'm barren. Take her. So she tried to do in the flesh what God wanted only done in abiding with his spirit and his promise. Amen. And she ended up getting together with Abraham. And they had a son. And what was his son's name? Ishmael. And you'll remember Muhammad claims that he's a descendant of Ishmael, which is interesting, right? And it caused, do you think that was a good move? <laughs> There's a lot of problems in the world because of that move right there, which is a powerful picture when you think that you could do things in the flesh and the consequences, all they, oh, psh, I know it's not God's way. I know it's not what he wants me to do. I know I should trust him. I know I should wait on him. But you know what? I'm going to do it my way and God will just forgive me. Woo, look at all the problems that can arise there, man. That's not a good move. Well, she has Ishmael and so forth. But while she's pregnant, she and Hagar are having a tough time together. In fact, there's some mistreatment going on. Or Sarah's pretty rough on her. So rough that she leaves the tent while she's pregnant. And she's in just despair. Because she realizes she's the foreigner. She's the Egyptian servant that was awarded. And by the way, it's interesting because of Sarah's faithfulness, God blessed Abraham for her, na her namesake, it says. Because of her. It's like, Wow. But then she took a sad misstep. And Abraham, instead of seeking the Father, and say, Father, is it your will? Is it your will that I do this? That I take this woman? Is that your will, Hagar? To be a surrogate mother for, you know, just to, so, you know, Sarah will still be the mother and raise him. But hey, you know, he doesn't, he doesn't appear to do that. And when I do marital counseling, and I talk about communication, and I talk about leadership, and how, uh, males, men are called to lead their homes and they're responsible for the decisions that are made and in this case Sarah's like take Hagar Abraham's like okay sounds like a plan that wasn't a wise plan it came back to haunt him and there's a big debate in the church right now and it, it's a debate within the Southern Baptist which is the biggest denomination in the United States, by the way, Protestant denomination. And the SBC, they just had their big conference. They're having it right now, uh, where the Southern Baptist Convention, their big convention, where they vote. 
Sometimes they vote on new doctrines, you know? Isn't that interesting? Whether you, or, 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 or whether there should be a new doctrine that's allowed. And what happened is Rick Warren, who owns pastors.com, you can imagine how famous that website is, right? He came out swinging, so to speak, saying, the, you, know, let's, you know, let's ram through the idea that there should now be women pastors, you know? And uh, that's all been in the news a bit lately, especially if you're Southern Baptist, and there's millions and millions and millions of Southern Baptists, and they're, they're having their convention. They just had a vote. I think it was this morning. And as to whether or not to allow that or whether or not to make a declaration within their convention law that, uh, that the scriptures speak of male pastors only, you know? And by the way, we're in strange times right now, right? Male and female, gender, everything's getting turned upside down. In the world, that's happening big time, right? So we, we see what's going on in the world, and we say, wow, how can they do this? How can they, you know, I mean, there's been a big firestorm because yesterday, you know, uh, Megan Fox, she... Uh, you know, she came under some scrutiny because a gentleman showed a picture of some of her children and wearing dresses, you know, and stuff, her boys, you know. And, and he was just, and it was mortifying for so many people to see, but Anthony Jolie was doing that with her and Brad Pitt's kids, you know. And these stars, they rise to power, okay. And I have evidence from her own testimony, Megan Fox's, that she contacts these ancient forces that she's channeled, uh, that have caused her, you know, to be raging and stuff. Really crazy stuff, you know. Uh, you know, she's had her ayahuasca trips where she has a preview of hell and stuff. Uh, all kinds of strange stuff, right? But uh, in this deal, he basically called it child abuse. And then she, you know, clapped back at him, said, you're doing this for clout, you know, for attention. And somebody says, hey, it's just one of the boys. And then he shows another picture where it's two of the boys. Because he says, and I don't know if this is true. I know that she dresses her little boys like girls is true for sure. Okay? She's unbiblical. The scriptures say uh, that a male is not supposed to put on that which pertains to a female, and a female that which pertains to a male. Of course, that's not because Satan wants to erase the sexes. Satan's like an androgynous being. He's actually sexless. He hates humanity. He hates that we can reproduce. He hates that we can be redeemed by the blood of Jesus. He hates the male and female picture because he hates the fact that Jesus gave himself for us. Amen? And that's depicted through the picture of the Megan Wisterion, the great mystery of Christ for the church is supposed to be depicted in a husband laying his life down for the wife. That's why leadership has been male. You know, the high priest was male. He's always a man, right? Uh, throughout the scripture, the patriarchs, you know, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were males. The 12 apostles were all males, unless you are a uh, Gnostic and you want to believe Mary Magdalene was one from teaching that came hundreds and hundreds of years later or what have you, which is ridiculous. Uh, and the pastors are unequivocally, clearly called to be male. And there's privileges, and we, are, we know very well, I don't have to get too much into it with you guys, but we know very well that uh, that doesn't mean that male men are more important than women or that they, or there's an inequality in the body. We, we believe in what we call complementarianism, amen? You look at the male and the female, uh, they complement each other perfectly, not only spiritually, but physiologically, biologically, you put the two together, you get children. Amen? Amen. Uh, you put two males together, you get all sorts of diseases, okay? Just to be Joe or Frank. 
Let's be clear. It's, 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 it's reality, right? Women, women with women, same deal. You get uh, diseases, you get a low mortality rate and everything else. And it's wrong. A lot of men want to be women right now, you know? And it's, it's going on. I mean, that's the whole transgender thing that with the transsexuals and the guys that want to dance in front of kids. They dress up like women and, you know, they lop off their body parts. And, and now they're doing it to little boys. They're, they're trying to, they, a lot of these people want to, want to give, castrate their kids, chemical uh, castration, you know, uh, surgical mutilation, hormone blockers, and all these things to try to turn them into, and it's vogue, it's popular. Hey, the Joneses are doing it. Hey, the, oh, I'll be popular. Oh, my kid's like, oh. I mean, she, I saw her in an interview say basically, yeah, well, I was sending my six-year-old, I dressed him up like a girl and send him to school. And, and even though she said she was sending him to a liberal hippie school, he'd come back and the boys would be laughing at him. Poor kid, can you imagine that? You know? And they'd be laughing at him like, God, how could you do that to him, you know? Oh, he wanted to dress like a girl. Well, my kids want to do a lot of things growing up. Like, how about ice cream three times a day? You know? It's not, necess- it's not necessarily good if they want something. It's what's right. What's wrong? You know? And she said that she dressed one of her boys up since he was two years old. I guess he was like, Mama, I want to be a girl. At two? No. Okay? And by the way, it breaks my heart because when you look at the statistics here, there's been like 11 different studies, solid studies, that looked at those who struggle with gender dysphoria. And they claim it's at 0.6%. That's about one in just under 200 kids. The odds that she would have two or three boys that all suffer from that, do you know what the odds are of that? That's like astronomical. It's just doesn't make any sense. But the interesting thing is, 11 out of 11 studies, and that's not what the studies showed. The studies revealed that 11 out of 11 studies that children that deal with dysphoria, the one out of almost 200 kids that do, that by the age of 18, by the age of 18, 61 to 98% of them grow out of it already. Isn't that crazy? So in other words, guess what? It's very likely that that child, and by the way, there's all kinds of things that go on. I mean, one of the most popular transgender kids ever. It's a whole story that Los Angeles Times about him just last week, or just last, maybe, yeah, probably a week ago. And he's big time, you know, television little kid actor, and he struggles with it, but he says he was hearing voices telling him to change his gender, you know, or a voice. Like, where's that coming from? So there's a lot of things going on here, but some will say, well, no, no, it's not up to 98% want to change if you give them hormone blockers. If you do, yeah, of course, you start interfering with their biology, you start messing with that, yeah, it's going to drop because in convincing them through therapy that they're really the opposite sex that they were born. But I'll tell you what, if I wanted to be a woman, I'm never going to be able to be a woman. You, I could try to make myself look like a woman. I'm still going to have a prostate. I'm still going to have a male DNA. I'm still going to have XY chromosomes. It's never going to change. My biology is not going to change. Do you understand that? It's a mental problem. It's a problem that's very serious, and that's how we need to address people that are struggling with that. We need to love them. Amen? Pray for them. Feel for them and, and cry out to God for them and encourage them to, because uh, there's all kinds of people. I told you about lycanthropy. I was telling you years ago, years and years ago, I did an article that was published by WorldNet Daily, I don't know, maybe almost 15 years ago, warning about this. I talked about lycanthropy. Like, that's thinking that you're an animal, right? Remember Nebuchadnezzar? He got in all fours and act like an animal. 
He came out of it after seven years, okay? Should we start, you know, sewing a trunk onto him or whatever he thought he was and cutting things off? And no. In fact, in that case, it was a judgment from God. He was given over to delusion. So we have to be aware of what is going on here. So how in the world did I get to this? <laughs> anyway, but, but the really bizarre thing is, is she clapped back at this guy and she said, I've been burned at the stake before and you've messed with the wrong witch. And then she showed, did anybody see a week or so ago of these two witches that were nude? They blurred out the, and they're, they're, they looked like they were feeding just like animals on a, on, a, on a deer, raw deer. It was a deer, right? And it was caught on, I guess, I don't know, trail cameras or what. She put that picture up. She said, this is me in front of your house. You know, that's Megan Fox, who, by the way, said that if one of the, you know, Megatron came from Transformers, because she was in Transformers, she would try to do a deal with him to just uh, not kill everybody on the earth, just, just the Christians, you know, just the, just the bigoted, anti-gay Christians, you know. And by the way, because I'm anti-adultery, uh, anti-fornication, anti-drug abuse, anti-homosexual practices, anti pedophilia, all these different things that the Bible calls sin doesn't mean I hate the people that get drunk, that are caught in adultery, or that fall in homosexuality. On the contrary, I love those people dearly. I've helped people out of all those things. That's why our ministry exists as Christians. We were all trapped in things like that, right? In fact, it says, don't be deceived. Remember that scripture? Homosexuals, fornicators, adulterers, thieves, you know, effeminate, you know, drunkards, all these folks, they will not inherit the kingdom of God, revilers. But he says, such were some of you, amen? But you've been what? We've been justified, amen? We've been sanctified. We've been cleansed by the blood of Christ. He's given us new hearts, amen? So it's amazing. The Lord is very, very patient with us, and he cares so much about us. But uh, I think I got there because I was talking about what just came up today, now that I think about it, with the uh, Rick Warren situation in the SBC, the Southern Baptist Convention right now, which is going on this week. And they had a vote. But I was looking at Rick Warren's arguments earlier this week. He's trying to overthrow 2,000 years of Christian conviction in church history. But he's going the way of the world. Boom, stuck six his finger in there. We have a video clip you could watch. I put together probably, wow, how long ago? When was Proposition 8 going down? Is that like... Was it 2012? 2008. 2008. I thought it was 2008, a little earlier. 15 years ago, I put this video out then. And this video was Rick Warren's forked tongue. And I show you where he's for, yeah, against gay marriage and everything else. And he's taking a stand. Like, whoa, wow, Rick. That's before the whole peace plan and all the stuff was becoming more blatant. You know, his whole three-legged stool, one world government thing, working, speaking at Davos and becoming a member of the Council of Foreign Relations. Most of that stuff hadn't happened yet, but we're already weary of him because of his secret-sensitive stuff. And then he totally flipped on it and acted like he never did. And I show him saying both things out of both sides of his mouth. So he, Rick Warren's the one who said, you know, as far as being right or conservative, right-wing, he says, you know, a bird needs a left-wing and a right-wing to fly, you know? Well, now he says, oh, I'm not against, I'm not for egalitarianism or complementarianism. Really? Well, where do you really stand then? 
And then when he identifies where he stands, it's all about making women pastors. In fact, when he stepped out of his role as pastor because of retirement at Saddleback, I think they appointed like three different women pastors right when he stepped out. He goes, oh, no, I've been studying this for three years now, and I was open, you know. You know, let God deal with that, okay? Because the conclusion he came to was the very conclusion I thought he would come to was even though he doesn't have any scripture to support it, because 1 Timothy 2.12 is very clear, right? It makes it very, very clear that men are to be pastors. Amen? And you can go look it up. We studied it because we've been going through Timothy, right? And I want to go back through all that material. I'm tempted to, but I'm not going to. I'm not even going to go look at that verse. I'm just going to mention it. It's very clear. But he says, oh, but, the, but Mary Magdalene, she, or I'm sorry, the women, they were the first ones, not just even Mary, they were the first ones to proclaim Jesus rose when they saw that he was in the tomb. I'm like, amen. I say that all the time. I encourage women to be witnessing, amen. Okay. And then, you know, he says, oh, in Matthew 28, the Great Commission is given to, to everybody. We're all supposed to go out and be witnesses. Amen. I agree with that too. What's that have to do with women pastors, Rick? And then he says, he makes a statement that's inflammatory and emotional in one of his, one of his interviews. He's like, well, if women can't be pastors, then it's just a big, their wives are a big waste and they've just been put, benched. I'm like, what? That is so wicked. You're talking against the scripture now, not me in my position. I'm, I'm, I'm not taking it personal. I'm like defending God's word. That's like saying to a man, because he can't have a baby, all you men are sidelined. It's, your life's a waste if you can't have a baby, men. See the same logic? Are you with me? I thought about that. I go, that's not logical, Rick. And to make women feel that they're sidelined because they're not supposed to walk in the man's role is like making men feel like they're sidelined because they can't walk in the women's role. And I personally believe, besides leading someone to Jesus Christ for all eternity, which men and women can all do, amen, bringing a life into the world is the most important thing you could do in life. That's my personal conviction. So if I say who gets the better position... Women, man, and the familial, that, that relationship, and I could get teary thinking about it, just watching my wife and my sisters in fellowship and all the people I love raising children. I just, it blesses my heart when I see how much they love their kids and so forth. And of course, dads love your kids, nurture them, and God's given you a special relationship too. I'm not minimizing that at all. But that relationship of being able to have a child and then the way God creates women, because they sense a... They sense God's heart in a certain way. I'm not going to say more than men because it differs from person to person probably and it's complex. But there's something, when I see my children, my grandchildren, I just ache for them. I, I, when I don't see them, why you long for them. I'm sure women go through that as well. But there's some familial thing going on between a woman and her children from conception and before because they're carrying that baby. And a man can't say he has that exact experience. You know what I'm saying? It's just beautiful. But it's wrong for a man to want to usurp the woman's role in that. And a lot of men feel that way today. They want to have babies. They want to do everything they can, you know. And now they're saying men are having babies, right? These are women who claim to be men, right? Saying, I'm really a man inside. And then they become a man and they say they're a man, but now they get pregnant and they're a pregnant man. One of the top magazines had a picture of a pregnant man on the front cover. It was a woman pretending to be a man. I'm sorry, one day we might have to go to jail for talking like this. You're a racist. You won't recognize it. No, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm being incredibly scientific here. 
And all science said that. It's only been a few years where it's become vogue to, to deny the science. So it's important that we understand who's who and whose role is what. And here we see, in a different way, Sarah saying, Hagar, you play my role. You be, you be the mother, at least long enough to have a baby so I could take over. Well, that wasn't God's plan. You can imagine the heartache that would be in that tent because she's looking at Ishmael later. This is my baby. She's like, no, you're in our tent. You're the servant. And it could cause all sorts of problems. And it's interesting because she leaves the tent. But in chapter 16, verse 6, we read, But Abraham said to Sarai, Behold, your maid is in your power. Chapter 16, verse 6. Do to her what is good in your sight. So Sarai treated her harshly, and she fled from her presence. Now the angel of the Lord, now who? The angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, by the spring of the way to Shur. He said, Hagar, Sarai's maid. It's before her name was changed to Sarah. Where have you come from and where are you going? And she said, I'm, feeling, I'm fleeing from the presence of my mistress, Sarai. Then the angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit yourself to her authority. Wow, that's interesting, you know. Uh, and we're going to return to this because who's this angel of the Lord? We're going to get back to this passage in a little while. But it's just mysterious that the angel of the Lord, she's tripping out. She's like, she feels so alone. Can you imagine? You've, all of a sudden you've been given to Abraham and Sarai from, you know, from the Egyptians to, to them. Then you're traveling with them. And then they want you to have a baby for them. And the guy you're listening to says he's going to be the father of many, many people. And I don't even know if she believes that, but it's from God and it's going to happen, actually. Oh, but by the way, God's not coming through, so he's, we're picking you. I mean, put yourself in her shoes. That would be kind of a trip, right? And then all of a sudden you're pregnant. She's pregnant. Not you men. I meant she's pregnant. Uh, and then guess what? It's like now, now Sarah's really harsh on her. And she's like hurt. And she leaves. She doesn't know what to do. And and then guess what? She's feeling so, I can't understand how alone she must have felt. It had to be so alone. But then all of a sudden she realized, wow, this angel Lord sees her plight and gives her instruction, which I think is so beautiful. Now go to Genesis chapter 32, verse 24. You have to pay attention. If you've been at Blessed Hope any time long, you know if you just let your mind wander, you jump around, you're not going to get anything out of it. You won't. If you just let your mind wander and you're, you know, checking the scores of games and, 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 you know. But if you're here because you're, hey, I want to learn the word. I want to grow. You get a lot out of it, you know. That's why I have people come from all over, listen to the word and that love the word. But it's because I don't want to just give one or two verses and talk about it. I mean, I can only talk about Megan Fox so much. Then I get like, oh, my stomach's turning. I got to go to the scripture, you know. But what's interesting is you have to tie things together when you study scripture. Because the paradigm of Scripture is just beautiful. It all fits together. Those of you who've been in the Word for some time, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You're studying the Word. It's like, wow, that fits so well with this. And this, oh, that's a typology. And that's, whoa. Well, we want to look at a few things and then come back to this. And I think we'll appreciate it even more. But in Genesis chapter 32, verse 24, Jacob wrestles with an angel. Remember that? Now, Jacob was somewhat of a scoundrel, just to be honest with you. When you look at his life before he fully surrendered to God, 
You know, he was a bad deal. And from the womb, you know, his flesh was grabbing onto, you know. Now, there's him at work, but then there's God and his providence at work too, right? He uses people's, even their, their mistakes. And he's grabbing his, his brother's heel, right? Esau's and, you know, becoming the firstborn. And not even that he knows. We don't even know exactly what he's thinking. It could have just been his fleshly tendency. I don't know. It's kind of a trip. But it was a really powerful picture. And he's, but Jacob, you know, he basically deceived his father to get the birthright, which, by the way, is an incredible picture of Jesus. Because Esau, you look at the, from the Edomites, you look at the, where his name derives from, and you come up with the word red. It's named after an Adam, Adama in Hebrew. Red, interesting. I believe he is a picture of Adam. And then as a picture of Adam, he lost his birthright. Adam lost his birthright, right? What happened? Jacob stepped in and made himself look like Esau to get the birthright. Jesus stepped in and became a man, amen, the second Adam, to get our birthright, amen? It's absolutely powerful. It's beautiful. And it's interesting. But here, keep in mind, he's a human man. Just like Samson dies bringing so many people to death, it doesn't mean he was a perfectly righteous man through his life, right? He repented at the end, thank God. And he's in Hebrews 11 as a man who, these, these all died in faith, it says. He died of faith. Thank God he came back. Okay, because if he didn't return to the Lord, he'd be in big trouble. But he's such a powerful picture of Christ. He says he did more in his death than he did in his life. Jesus, when he died, and he was in the same position, but on the cross, more people were saved through his death than in his life. Amen? Amen? But God uses even people's mistakes if they turn to him. And, and if they don't turn to him, he'll use them as another picture. Okay, you won't turn to me? Then you're a picture of the Antichrist or something. You know? So it's interesting because uh, here we see he's, He's gone through a lot of his life, and he's, he needs change. Because there's Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's going to be the father of the 12 tribes, the fathers of the 12 tribes. And we read in verse 24, Then Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until daybreak. A man. He's wrestling for a long time until daybreak. This is a long wrestling match. When he saw that he had not prevailed against him, he touched the socket of his thigh. So the socket of Jacob's thigh was dislocated while he wrestled with him. This is interesting. It's, it's, it's a little complex. It's like, wait a minute. The angel or the man, right now he's just called a man, right? This man's wrestling with Jacob till daybreak. Something pretty powerful is going on here. Yet he didn't prevail against Jacob. Jacob wasn't quitting. Yet this man, or whoever this man rep is, looks like a man. Angels often take the form of man. He could have just whipped Jacob any time. Why? How do you know that? Because he just does what? Oh, okay. Just touches his, dislocates his, you know, his leg from his hip. It's like, Jacob must have been tripping out. You know? It's like, uh, uh, think of a big giant dude wrestling a, a two-year-old little kid, just kind of playing with him, and then the little kid won't stop. And in that sense, the little kid prevailed. He won't, he's not quitting. But then the man says, okay, yeah. No, hopefully he went, you know, dislocate his hip, you know. But he could just whoop him. And, but Jacob, he just, he gets his hip, you know. Then he said, let me go for the dawn is breaking. But he said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. So he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. 
He said, your name shall no longer be Jacob, but what? Israel. For you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Now this trips me out. Then Jacob asked him and said, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you ask my name? And he blessed him there. Now it's interesting because you're like, you, you want to scratch your head and say, okay, what is his name there? Why did he say his name? But who do we see? Who do we see this? Who is this? He's wrestling. And the text doesn't explicitly tell you who this man is. But you cross-reference, you connect the dots, you go to Hosea chapter 12, verses 2 and 3. Hosea chapter 12, verses 2 and 3, it says, The Lord also had a dispute with Judah and will punish who? Jacob according to his ways. See, Jacob's ways were not right at first, right? He's going to punish Jacob according to his ways. And Jacob, you say, well, Jacob's another name for Israel. But here he's referring to more than Israel. He's referring specifically to Jacob as well. How do I know that? Keep reading. He will repay him according to his deeds, verse 3, in the what? In the womb he took his brother by the heel. And in his maturity he what? Ooh, he contended with who? He contended with God. Okay? Not a mere man. Okay? This, when the angel of the Lord shows up, he shows up in the form of a man. And when we look at the angel of the Lord, I want you to understand, we, we speak of an, the angel of the Lord as a theophany. Or a Christophany. Theo, theos, from theon, theos, from the word for, Greek word for God. Or, you know, Christophany, an appearing, a pre-incarnation of Christ, taking human form. And I'm not going to say every time you see the angel of the Lord, it's, it's definitely a, a pre-incarnation of Christ, a Christophany, a theophany. I'm not prepared to say that, but when I've studied it through over and over again, you see it's a Christophany. Now this is interesting, or a theophany. By the way, when we say theos or theon, those are the Greek words for God you find in the New Testament. Or you find the Greek word kurios, which is a Greek word for Lord or Master. And that's used over and over again in the New Testament. Uh, and it's used of quotations to the Old Testament for Yahweh, right? But you have this in the Hebrew Roots Movement right now. They're like, you have to use the name Yahweh. Or you have to use some spelling of Yahweh. Or you have to use the name Yeshua. And I love the name Yahweh, guys. I have two shirts one that says Yahweh, and I have one that says YHWH. I love that name. And on my license plate for several years, it says JC YHWH. Now I think about it. I love that name, you know. But guess what? I know I don't have to say Yahweh. And I know when I say Jesus, I don't have to say Yeshua. I don't have to say Jesus, which is the Greek translation or Greek for him, Jesus, in the New Testament. Why? Because in the New Testament, over and over and over and over again, we see Kurios, Lord. For Yahweh, and we say Theos and Theon. And it's really weird when you talk to people in the Hebrew Roots movement, they insist, oh, we gotta use. I say, wait a minute, the Holy Spirit didn't do that. You know, over and over again when you read the New Testament, right? See what I'm saying? Watch out, you don't quibble over things that get you nowhere, that are a waste of time. Try to help people if they're caught up in these cultic type mentalities where they're blinded. Sometimes you just show them a little, little bit of light, they see it. Other times they go, oh, I wanna just go. They don't wanna see it. That's true with a lot of people. But Give people the benefit of the doubt if they don't see something. Try to love them and pray for them and encourage them. We want to see people set free, amen? And a lot of people have come out of these things too. Anyway, this is the angel of the Lord, you know? And it's amazing because Hosea is actually reflecting on Jacob's misdeeds and the things that he did. Uh, 
And a lot of the Jewish understanding with a lot of Jewish folks is that Jacob is basically had had a vision of his conflicts with, with, uh, with Esau, you know. We don't know. There's some conjecture. But what we do know, I believe the text is pretty clear on it, is look at verses 4 and 5. It says, yes, he wrestled with who? He wrestled with who? The angel and prevailed. So I'm not jumping to conclusions. I've already seen these texts, you know. I'm saying this is, the, this is an angel coming to the form of man. It's the angel of the Lord. But he is actually contending with who? God. There it is again. He's contending with God. He found, he found him at Bethel. And there he spoke with us. I love that. He found him. He found who? God, the angel of the Lord, at Bethel, which means house of God, right? Beth, house, or, or El, for Elohim. And there he spoke with us. Look at verse 5. Even the what? Even the Lord, and that's all caps. That's, now that is Yahweh right there. So you have Elohim, you have Yahweh, you have man in the text in Genesis, and you have the angel here, right? The angel, the angel of the Lord. Verse 5, even the Lord, or Yahweh, the God of hosts, the Lord, the, the, the Yahweh is his what? Name. Wow. Isn't that interesting? He's wrestling with Yahweh, the man who's the angel of the Lord, a pre-incarnation of Christ. Amen? So over and over again, you get to see, I think it's really sweet, that the angel of the Lord is identified uh, with Yahweh. And what a wrestling match that was, you know. And in what way did he prevail? And we have to, you know, what, how, did, how did he prevail in that wrestling match? I, you know, and, I, and I'm open because this is something where it doesn't say, and this is how he prevailed. This chapter verse, you know what I'm saying? So you got to be humble about it, but I think he prevailed through not letting go, through refusing to let go until he was blessed. It blesses my heart because I believe he knew deep down he was wrestling with God. Otherwise, why would he want to be blessed, you know? And he's wrestling, but he doesn't want to let go. And he knows he's, he's a bad guy, you know? But he wanted God's favor. He wanted his grace. And at the very end, the Lord says, okay, he's not letting go. I mean, the Lord could just smash him into a ball and roll him down the mountain or whatever, or up the mountain, you know? Could have just did whatever, but he's, you know, he's, he condescends to the man of the lower state, like we're called to do in Romans 12. He loves us, right? He wrestles with him, and then he holds on. Jacob would not let go. And then he blessed him. He prevailed in that he surrendered to him. He surrendered to your will. I see you as greater than me. Because we learned the principle that the, remember, it talks about, I have time to get into it because I'm going to get way off my notes. I've been off my notes way too many times already. But you know in the scripture, when we, talk, when we go to Hebrews, we talk about Melchizedek, right? And how he blessed, how, how he, you know, Abraham gave a tenth to his tie, of tithes to him because Melchizedek was greater. That's what the point is there. He's a, he's a picture of Christ as well, by the way. Well, here, he knows that you're greater than me. You bless me. I'm the one with the messed up hip now. I'm going to be the rock with the staff, and he is for the rest of his life, depending on Yahweh. He surrendered. You know how I believe? I know he surrendered. And I, I, I believe strongly I should say he surrendered. I don't have a scripture that say because he held on and surrendered. I believe that's it. Based on what's his name changed to? 
His name is Jacob. It means like heel snatcher. He's been translated mischievous one. He's kind of fleshly. But now he surrenders and he's going to be blessed and to be used by God. His name has changed to Israel. And what does Israel mean? Come on. Prince with God. Governed by God. He is now submitted to God. Israel means governed by God. To be prince with God. So he's now, finally, he's broken. And that's what happens to us when we surrender to the Lord and we hold on and say, I'm not going to give up. I want you. I want you. Bless me and may I be with you forever. He breaks us. If we fall on him, it says, Jesus says, that he's the cornerstone that was rejected. And everyone who falls on him will be broken. When you come to Christ and you fall on him, you'll be broken. You'll be in a wrestling match, and you'll be broken, and you'll belong to him forever. If you save your life, you'll lose it. If you lose it, you'll what? Save it. Yeah, he says, but he that the stone falls on will be what? Crushed. He that's not with me is against me. It's imperative that we make sure that we surrender to him. Are you with me tonight? Now, it's interesting because Jacob wept. He wept there he was because he was utterly broken and, uh, by Yahweh physically and, and spiritually, and he received the favor of the Lord. Now, I think it's interesting, too, because I love the story. When the, remember the Canaanite women, the Canaanite woman, I should say, when she went to Jesus and she had a demon-possessed daughter? And the Canaanites were supposed to be wiped out from Israel, right? And she comes to Jesus and she's like cast, wanting this demon to be cast out. If you read the text, he says to her that I have not seen faith like this in all of Israel. That's pretty remarkable. This is a Gentile, Canaanite Gentile woman. He says, I haven't seen faith like this in all of, all of Israel. Why? What, why, was her, how, how, why was her faith so strong? Because you know what? There are three I don't have time to get into it <laughs> again, but I'll just say this. There were three hurdles she had to go over to stick to Jesus and finally get him to cast the demon out of her daughter. Twice, the disciples tried to get her to leave, rebuffed her, you know, get out of here. She persisted anyway because she was going to continue to want to get blessed by Yahweh, the angel of the Lord, or I should say Yeshua, Hamashiach, the Messiah, who is the great I Am. And she kept pressing. Even when she went to Jesus, Jesus says, should I give to huh, the bread that belongs to the children? Should I give it to the dogs? Whew. Wow. Well, that's how the Gentiles were regarded in those days. Dogs. Because just like dogs were impure and they did whatever they wanted, they peed on everything and they just went after everything sexually and whatever and were dirty and filthy, that's how the Gentiles were. And she persisted. She said, even the dogs, you know, get the crumbs from the table. I have not seen faith like that in all of Israel. What did she do, guys? She persisted. Amen? Amen. I want to encourage you to persist. To persist when things get tough in your faith. Amen? When you're going through a trial, don't give up. Amen? Seek a deeper relationship with Jesus. Amen? He appreciates that. It blesses his heart when he sees persistent faith. If you're struggling in your marriage right now and your spouse is just not being very loving right now, persist in your marriage. Amen? Love him or her 
anyway. Amen? Because you're commanded to love your spouse no matter how they're treating you. Amen? If your children have gone astray in some way or they're just not listening or they're not doing their work at home with schooling or whatever it is, keep loving them. Amen? Keep loving them. Keep praying for them. Don't give up on them. Amen? Be persistent. Be persistent. Bless God's heart. Amen? Hold on to Him and His promises and you will be blessed. Amen? Whatever you're going through, at work, somebody that you're having a hard time with, but the Lord in His providence is allowing you to be whatever situation you're in. If you're a single person, you're like, man, I've been a single for quite a long time. Well, Jesus was single his entire life. Amen? Paul was single as well. Amen? And Paul said it's actually better, but sometimes it gets really tough at times because the stigma sometimes is in the world and sometimes even in the church. But praise God, hold on to Him. Amen? Your life's a vapor. Hold on to Jesus and you'll get through it. Amen? It's imperative that we hold on to the blessings. And guess what? Wow. He finds out. I mean, we find out in Hosea and, and he's wrestled with Yahweh and God blessed him. But he's a picture of what Israel needs to do, which is surrender to the Lord. And Israel is blessed in their striving to be persistent. Uh, now let's go to Exodus chapter 3, verse 2. Exodus chapter 3. Now, I'm going to have to speed up a little bit because I've kind of said a lot of things that I wasn't going to say. But Exodus chapter 3, we'll just catch the, what's going on here, is the Lord God's appearing to Moses, right? Moses leaves Pharaoh's house in line, according to Josephus, to become the next Pharaoh. But he esteemed the sufferings of Christ, the reproach of Christ, greater riches than all the stuff he could have had as becoming either the next Pharaoh, or if Josephus was wrong about that, just being in, Herod's, in, in Pharaoh's house as a prince, right? The, the son of her, his daughter. I mean, he could have had such privileges, but he, he, he did not esteem what the pleasure and sin for a season, it says in Hebrews 11. There's pleasure and sin for a season. You know, don't lie to your kids and say sin is just so horrible. You won't like it. No, that's not what the Bible says. It says there's pleasure and sin for a season. Amen. But it's just a season. You can let them know it's a very short season. And with every kick, there's a kickback. And the Bible says hard is the way the transgressor, right? And it'll be horrible for them in the future and teach them to discern between good and evil and how evil has built in repercussions that are quite serious. Amen? Teach your children those things. Very important. Now, it's interesting because he goes and that's a, the whole narrative is really powerful, but he's in the wilderness now. He's a shepherd. He's a picture of Jesus who left his, who left his palace in heaven, right, to deliver us, everybody, amen, amen. the Jews first and also any Gentile believers that believe. And so Moses leaves his home. He becomes a shepherd. He humbles himself to become the savior of his people. But guess who appears to him? Well, the Lord. Well, who? Someone appears to him. Exodus 3, 2. And the what? The angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. Wow. Verse 2, right? He looked and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was what? Not consumed. That trips me out. The bush is burning, yet it's not consumed. Now, you've heard me say this passage in Isaiah once in a while. Who can endure the everlasting burnings? I remember when I was a brand new Christian or a new Christian, I read that, I'm like, I thought he was talking about hell. Then I look at the context there, I'm like, oh, he's talking about him. He's a consuming fire. Who can stand in his presence? Because it goes on to say that certain people will be able to. Well, guess who is able to here? This tree is, 
right? This tree's hanging out. Doesn't it lose its identity? Doesn't it go up in smoke? He tells Moses to take off your shoes because you are on holy ground. But who's, who's talking here? Yeah, well. Oh, by the way, in Genesis 32, 30, I'm sorry, I didn't read that verse to you. It says, so Jacob named the place Peniel, for he said, I have seen God face to face, yet my life has been preserved. In case you want a text right there in Genesis. In case you go to Hosea and you're like, oh, well, that might mean he contended with God, but that was through God's angel. Ooh, right here he says in 32.30, so Jacob named the place Peniel, for he said, I have been, I've seen God face to face, yet my life has been preserved. I thought you couldn't see God face to face or you'd be dead. Yeah, you would if he, show, if he appeared in all his glory, right? Because he dwells in unapproachable light, you'd just be toast, okay? okay? But God's veiled in the, in the flesh of a... Uh, a man in the form of the angel of the Lord. And so here we see in verse 2 uh, what's going on, and, and it's important to understand uh, who's he talking about? What's going on there? Look at verse 14. And I'm going to quote the King James here. And God said unto Moses, I am that what? I am. Because Moses wants to say, who, who do I say sent me? He said, <laughs> he said unto Moses, I am that I am. And he said, thus thou you shall, uh, thus thou, shalt thou, I want to get thou out first, thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, I am has sent me unto you. Wow. So, come on you guys, who's the I am that I am, you know? It's the self, it means the self-existing one. And there's other nuances and, and there's huge word studies on, on what this name actually means, which you don't have time to get into. But he identifies himself as the great I am. I am that I am has sent you. Let them know that I am sent you. And the idea there is he's not a mere man. He's the one who exists from all eternity, for all eternity. He just, he is, amen? And I love that because it's really, really powerful when you think about it, especially when you think of the Gospel of John. And let me just give you a little narrative. I don't want to get too far off track on this uh, as far as track meaning not away from Scripture, but too far away from my notes because I want to get done on time and I'm going to, by the grace of God, get done on time in my obedience too, you know, is a self-imposed role but, uh, to get done. But anyway, I want to say this, is that when you look at that I am that I am phrase, is the Lord God says in the Scripture that He is the I am and He actually uses that name. And he uses it really interestingly in Isaiah chapter 42 through Isaiah 47 over and over again. And he uses it as his name in contrast to all the false gods who are not the I am, who are not immortal. He alone, it says, possesses immortality and dwells in unapproachable light, 1 Timothy 6.16. And he contrasts himself with all these demon gods. He contrasts himself with the, the gods the astrologers worship, who can't even deliver themselves from the flame, Isaiah 47. And with the idols that you know, can't walk or talk and you know, have ears but they can't hear and eyes but they can't see. And, and, and you know what he says? It's in these passages that you have declarations like, I tell you the end from the beginning. Amen? Amen? And by doing that, he says, you know that I am he. I'm, I'm, I'm Yahweh. And what's interesting about this is he lets them know, he even says, I prophesy about my ancient people Israel. And I tell, the, I tell from whence they've begun, and I tell the end from the beginning, so you can know that I am God. Okay? Don't ever let Satan deceive you to turn you away from God 
and so-called deconstruct by, because you're going to be leaving the God who's already proved who he is over and over and over and over again. Amen. He's proved that he is the God of creation. He's proved that he is the God of prophecy. Israel ceased to be a nation. I don't want to spend a long time on that, but for almost 2,000 years, it's the only group that's, or nation that ceased to be a nation for all that kind of time. That even, no one's even come close and then became a nation again. And all these other prophecies that are being fulfilled in regard to them being hated by their cousins from the east, descendants of Ishmael, which was part of the prophecy that was given that he'd be like a wild donkey, Ishmael's descendants against his brothers and everybody around him, which he is against Israel to this day, descendants of Ishmael, on and on. It's just crazy. One of the, one of the videos we're working on this, uh, later on this year, I've already started working on it, started doing some of the interviews, believe it or not, is uh, Israel as God's, you know, pr prophetically speaking. You know, I'm going to go to Israel and interview some people as well. I'm excited about this video, so pray for that if you don't mind. I'm, I'm hoping it'll win many people to Christ. But I want to say this, is this God of prophecy says by, tell, by revealing the future, he can prove that he's the I am. Well, that's what's really interesting in the Gospel of John. It's in the Gospel of John that you have all these I am statements. In the Greek, it's ego eimi, E-G-O, in a transliteration, ego or ego, I, I, it's where ego comes from. I, ego, Amy, am. I am. And Jesus says that over and over again. Ego, Amy, the way, the truth, and the life throughout John. Ego, Amy, I am the resurrection of life. Ego, Amy, I am the bread of life. Amen. Ego, Amy, I am the light of the world. Over and over again. But you see, he is the I am throughout the Gospel of John. From the beginning, what's John's thesis in the first few verses? In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the same was being with God, and all things were made through Him, and nothing was made but by Him. Amen? Amen. And the Word, who is God, became flesh, verse 14, and, be, and dwelt among us. Amen? Amen? But when they're trying to, going to stone Jesus to death, why do they pick up stones to stone Him in John 8, 59? Because He says what? Before Abraham was, what did He say? Ego amy. Oh, by the way, the Greek translation of chapter 3, verse 14 of Exodus, tell them that I am, that I am has sent you. In the Greek, which is the Greek Septuagint, LXX, we call it, which is the translation that was around before Jesus even came to the, God became a man. It's already there for probably 200 years or so. That translation, you know what it says in the Greek? Tell them that ego eimi, I am, that hoan has sent you. So in chapter 3, verse 14, in the Old Testament, the Greek translation that was around in Jesus and the apostles used it, he says, it says, tell them that ego eimi, <laughs> ho'an has sent you. Then when you go throughout Isaiah and he says, I prove that I am, you know what he uses not ho'an so often, he uses ego eimi. I prove that I am ego eimi by telling the future. And guess what happens in the Gospel of John, which I think is so amazing, he says to them, before Abraham was, I am. We say, not great English, but perfect theology, amen? Because he has to break the laws of English, right? Before, to show who he is. I should say he has to, but he does. Or I should say the, the rules of grammar. He said it in Greek. It's very interesting, though. But it's interesting, too, because you know what? He told the disciples, you don't believe. Now, they didn't have perfect faith yet, right? He says... But he talks about his coming resurrection. He says, when you see these things come to pass, you will know that I am. What's he doing? The same thing he does in Isaiah. 
The same thing he does with Moses. I am that I am. I'm going to pull this off in Egypt because of who I am. Then Isaiah 42 through 47, he gives all these statements about the future of Israel. I'm going to show you that I am. Amen? And he pulls it all off. Then Jesus on the scene, he's the I am, the God who becomes man. And he says, you don't understand now, but when basically <laughs> you're going to see, because I'm telling you, I'm going to get arrested. I'm going to be handed over to the Gentiles. I'm going to be crucified. And you're going to understand then that I am. Oh, and what happens in chapter 18 when they go and arrest Jesus? And they're, but, and they're like, we're getting him. We got him. And they say, who are, are you him? What does he say? In your translations, your English translation says, I am he. You'll see that he, in most of your translations, is italicized because it's not in the Greek. He literally says, I am. Are you, are you, the, you, know, are you him? Uh, ego, he literally says, ego Amy. And what do they do? <laughs> They'll just fall down. You can't say they never expressed his deity on earth and he was always relying on the Holy Spirit. That, to me, is a really clear example of where he just, okay, I'm going to show you my deity. Oh, he suffered as a man and he lived as a man and he relied on the Holy Spirit for sure. But he didn't cease to be God. And at times, he, and there's a clear instance where he demonstrated his deity, not to serve himself, but so they could believe. Isn't that heavy? And then John 20, 28, it says Thomas is there and he says, I'm not going to believe unless I see his wounds. What does he do? Jesus says, stick your fingers in my holes, in my, in my, in my wounds. What does Thomas do? He says, my Lord and my God. Amen. I point out to you before, he doesn't, because some Jehovah's Witnesses will say, oh, well, he's just getting excited, and saying, like saying, oh, my God. No. In the Greek, it's the Lord of me, the God of me. You can look at transliteration. The Lord of me, the God of me. This is all very, very serious. And that's why uh, in John 8, 24, before 58, before it says, if you, uh, before Abraham was, I am. In John 8, 24, he warns the Jews, if you do not believe that I am, you will die in your sins. Isn't that powerful? You will die in your sins. So if you reject Jesus as God, if you're Jehovah's Witness, say, no, I just believe he's Archangel Michael. Oh, oh, he's the angel of the Lord. Yeah, well, guess who the angel of the Lord is? God, over and over again, right? Or Mormons who deny that he is from all eternity and say he's just a spirit brother of Lucifer. That's a different Jesus. That's why we reject Mormonism. That's why these groups have historically been considered cults. They have a different Jesus. Christian scientists, religious science, the way, international, all these different cults deny that Jesus is God. Okay, uh, let's go to uh, Judges chapter thir uh, 13, verse 21. Now we really got to pick it up. Very little to say here because I've got to really pick it up. But in Judges chapter 13, 21 and 22, you have Manoah, right? Uh, and you have the woman and that she's being told, then she speaks to the angel Lord, then he can't believe it. You know, he's like tripping out. Then he speaks and they want to know, who are you? Because they're going to have a baby and she can't have a child because she's barren and she has one supernaturally just like Sarah did. And both these guys, by the way, Isaac and then Samson, end up being pictures of Christ. These are pictures of the, of the supernatural birth. With Jesus, it's far more radical because it's a virgin birth, right? But look what we read in verse 30, 21. Then Manoah knew that he was the angel of the Lord. And Manoah said to his wife, we shall surely die, for we have what? We, we have what? We have seen God, amen? So who's the angel of the Lord again? God. We're seeing that over and over again. Look at Zechariah chapter 12, verse 8. It says, on that day the Lord will protect the inhabitants of Jerusalem, so that the feeblest among them on that day shall be like David, and the house of David shall be like 
God like the angel of the Lord going before them. He's called God there as well. Over and over and over and over again. Okay, back to Hagar, where we started. Look at chapter 16, verse 10 of Genesis. So now we're back with what was going on with Hagar. He reveals that he's seen her hurt, her pain. And we read in verse 10, Moreover, the angel of the Lord said to her, I will greatly multiply your descendants, so that they will be too many to count. The angel of the Lord said to her further, Behold, you are with child, and you will bear a son, and you shall call his name Ishmael, because the Lord has given heed to your affliction. He will be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone. Just look at the Middle East, guys. And everyone's hand will be against him. And he will live to the east of all his brothers. That's the east of Israel. Then she called the name of the Lord. By the way, that's Yahweh. Tetragrammaton, YHWH. Then she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. You are what? She's talking about the one who spoke to her, the angel of the Lord. She calls him Yahweh. Says, you are the God who sees. For she said, have I even remained alive after seeing him? Wow, that is just so, so beautiful. And guys, the, the Hebrew there is, you got some of you know, right? It's beautiful. I love, it's one of my favorite names for God. It's El Roy, okay? El Roy. E-L, you, write, you can write E-L-L. It speaks of God. And then Roy, R-O-I, sees. The God who sees. We have an awesome God. He doesn't just tell the future. He's not just in control of everybody, everything, but he sees you even when you're hurting. He sees you when you feel like no one else sees you. He sees you when you feel all alone. He sees you when you're going through really hard times. He sees you when you have, feel like you're just utterly rejected. You have no hope. He sees you and he cares for you. Amen. He loves you. And by the way, she's a Gentile. And she's, her child's going to be Ishmael. But what's a trip is, but yeah, what a broad deal. Well, guess what? Do any Ishmaelites get saved? Yeah. yeah. People from every nation, kindred, people, and tongue. She's going to have descendants, a bunch of them, in heaven. Amen? And the descendants of Ishmael, when they come to Christ, man, they're some of the most beautiful Christians. They love Jesus so much. They're our brothers and sisters in Christ. Amen? But he is the God who sees. No matter what you're going through, he loves you. He cares about you. Reminds me of a little kid in Sunday school was get, always getting in trouble, kind of like little Jacob, right? And then the teacher said to him, God's looking at you. He sees you. He sees everything. The kid was ter terrified. He got home and told his mom, Mom, does God see everything? He's like, yes, he does, honey. He's like, really? She goes, yes. And you know what he sees when he looks at you? He's like, what? A little boy he loves so much that he gave his son for you? So you could go to heaven, you know? And she shared the gospel with him, amen? So sometimes we look at it, he's a God who sees. Oh, no, that's a good thing, amen? I'm glad he's a God who sees because he loves us. And he sent, sent his son in the world to condemn the world, but the world through him might be saved, amen? amen? Now, if you're living a wicked, rebellious life, he sees you, you better repent. You better get right with Jesus, amen? But if you get right with him, he longs to forgive you. There's a scripture where he says he longs to show us mercy, amen? His mercies are new every morning, it's because of his mercies that we're not consumed. Amen? So fall upon his mercy and stay there and cling to Jesus for the rest of your lives and you'll be blessed in the end. Amen? Reject him 
and he'll fall on you and you'll be crushed. Amen? I choose, and I believe you do too, to, to fall on his mercy. Amen? If you save your life, you lose it. If you lose it, surrender to him, he'll save it. Amen? So let's be persistent in our faith and let's trust the one who sees us. Can we all please stand?